Thanks for joining me on this year-end edition of Tracking West. Today's show will be a compilation of highlights from earlier episodes, and it, it reads like a 12 Days of Christmas gift list of guests that I've had earlier in the show. Coming up, you'll hear from Sean Freeman, Alberta team coach for the U16 and U18 teams, Austin Cole, the world relay medalist from Edmonton, Nikki Audenarden, heptathlete from Calgary, Jessica O'Connell, Pan Am Games silver medalist, Jen Brown, Pan Am Games, Para Pan Am Games gold medalist, Robin Webster of Edmonton, bronze medalist at national championships in the pole vault. Later in the show, a discussion with my friend Jason Lindsay about the World Championships. A discussion with University of Calgary head coach Doug Lamont. I speak to both the men's and women's Canada West Cross Country Championships. Stefan Daniel of Calgary, Nicola Simons of UBC. And then after the U Sports Championships, talk to Russell Pennock of the University of Calgary as the men repeat their championships. And our final interview is with Nate Reich of Victoria. He was the 1,500-meter para-athletics world champion earlier this year. Thanks for joining me on this year-end edition of Tracking West. My name is Stuart York. My first guest earlier this summer was Sean Freeman, head coach of Team Alberta for the U16 and U18 Legion teams. And we talk here about the role of the Royal Canadian Legion. You know, we always appreciate that the Legion has been a contributor to track and field in Canada, you know, going back years, uh, back when when I was a U18 athlete, which was, as somebody said at the banquet the other night, a, a true, I'm a true dinosaur. So that's a long time that the Legion's been involved. Yeah, they've, yeah, like I, I remember I just was read a story the other day, but back in the day, it was just um, provincial command or provincial team athletes. And then, you know, say in the last 10 years, they opened it up to, you know, club athletes that didn't make their teams and stuff, which of course adds a whole new competitive element to it. And, and I mean, I, and I just met, I know the other day I went into the office and I met our Legion command, the the lady that's uh, oversees our team and, and uh, she's been involved with for, you know, I think you know, as long as I've been involved and I had never met her face to face and, and yeah, they do, they do tremendous and they're definitely supporting the kids and, and it's, it's definitely great to have them involved. So. To have 36 athletes go and have it, have it fully paid for and no cost to the athletes and no cost to athletics, Alberta. That's really what we appreciate from, from the Legion and, and what they provide. Oh, for sure. At this point in time, you know, I mean, you know that things may change in the future just because everything gets so tight with with cash and traveling but but uh you know at this point it's it's great that the kids can travel across the country and and they're supported that way financially and yeah it's it's wonderful like it's going to if things change in regards to that it'll definitely makes makes for more of a challenge so in late june i talked to edmonton's austin cole about his experience at the world relay championships where he brought home a silver medal for Canada in the mixed 4x400-meter relay. Well, you had another good productive business trip in May of this year when you uh, represented Canada in Tokyo at the IAAF World Relays. Yeah, that was a very, very, very cool experience. Uh, 
very lucky to be able to represent my country in that and come home with the silver medal as well. Honestly, it was a dream come true, winning my first international medal. That's what I went out there to do, and we came home with it. So it was a successful business trip. <laughs> so it was the first time, I think it was the first time that IAAF has had the mixed 4x400 uh, relay, and you ran uh, with Philip Osai, who uh, finished second to you this year in the mm-hmm. 300 at, at U Sports. It was actually, uh, sorry to interrupt, sorry, it was the second time they did it. The first They did the first time in 2017. But this is the first time that they're going to have it in the world championships as well. Oh, they are. Good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Philip and you and Ayanna Bridget Stiverne, Alicia Brown, I was mm-hmm. that was the team in the in the semifinals, semifinals and the Canadian yeah. record. Yep. At three six three sixteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. And then Zoe Sharar jumped in in the final, and uh, you were able to get that silver medal. Absolutely. Yeah. Zoe stepped in when I was a. Uh, Stepped up to the big moment and ran a really good leg for us. So. Nikki Audenarden suffered an injury earlier this year at the Gotsis World Combined Events Challenge. In this interview, just after that event, we talk about the depth of Canadian heptathletes and looking forward to Tokyo 2020. I know that's disappointing. I know Gutsis is looked at by the the combined events community as the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. It's the unofficial world championships. <laughs> All of the best uh, heptathletes and decathletes uh, go there every year, and it's I, it's a fantastic competition from what I understand. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I've actually known about Gutsis since I was about 14 years old and competing under Linda Blade. Uh, as a hip athlete up in Edmonton, and she was always like, you will go to Gotsis, you will go to Gotsis. And so this year, when they finally contacted me and like, you're invited, I absolutely lost my mind. And I was like, this is like, this is it. I'm a hip athlete now in the world. And so uh, obviously, we went out there with really great expectations. Hurdles started off phenomenally. And we really thought we were going to progress into a wonderful hip that could have been an Olympic standard. So it was a little bit heartbreaking. I as I watched the 800 on day two, I don't think I've ever wanted to feel lactic acid in my leg as badly as I did watching that race that day. So you and Angela and Nina Schultz, who medaled at that uh, Commonwealth Games, and Georgia Ellenwood are four heptathletes, all roughly in the same area, looking for those Olympic spots. It's going to be pretty competitive next year, right? Yeah, it will be. It's amazing to see that this year uh, Canada really has the depth and the quality. So we usually, typically, we have one or two heptathletes who are aiming for that score. But this year, having the four who are all within contending points is, is quite fun to see and also very challenging. There's no surefire one person who's going to go. In all honesty, it's going to be a fight until the very last day where the standard is open that we can make that team. So the Olympic standard is what? 64,000 now. 6,400, not 64,000. Hundreds and thousands always get me off. There we go. 64,000 would be incredible. 6,400, sorry. Jessica O'Connell has long been one of Canada's best 5,000-meter runners, as evidenced by her national championship gold medal this year and her Pan Am silver. But in this interview, after both of those events, I ask her about the debut of Gabriella Dubuque-Stafford in that event and also about... Jessica's role models uh, as she grew up in the sport. 
Very impressive. Absolutely. It was incredibly humbling watching her come on and just run her first 5K and just absolutely smash it. Whereas Andrea and I have been chipping away at the 5K for what feels like forever and getting marginally faster every year. But I think it just really speaks to how talented Gabriella was like or is. She's like a ticking time bomb. Like you knew she was going to run a really, really fast 5K if she ever tried. And now that she's tried, I guess what we knew would happen happened. She's incredibly strong in the event. And did you see her uh, 1500 the other day at Zurich? Oh, it was awesome. The, the way she's running is just so world-class. Like we haven't seen that from a Canadian runner in quite a while. So it's so, so cool to see a, a Canadian up at the front, like competing and challenging and not just being in the race, but really, really dictating how it goes. That That's cool. Yeah. It's good to see all across uh, the ladies distances, you know, with uh, Melissa Bishop Nagaru, you know, she, although she shut it down for this year, I think she'll be back uh, and be competitive next year for, for Tokyo uh, Gabby at the at the fifteen hundred, you at the five k, Genevieve Lalonde in the three thousand meter steeplechase. We've got world class uh, ladies in all of those distances. Yeah, it's a pretty cool time to be in track. I mean, when I started, there were some very very awesome athletes that I looked up to, but I don't remember seeing depth like this. So it's it's a really neat time to, to be part of the sport. Like one person will run fast, and then the next week someone else will. So. People are constantly elevating each other. It's really neat. So who did you look up to when you were in high school in Calgary and starting your career? Well, my coach, Mike Van Tegum, coached Melinda Elmore, who went to the Athens Olympics in the 1500. And she's now making a comeback in the marathon, which is absolutely incredible to me. Uh, she was training with Mike when I started in high school. And so I just thought that she was such a rock star. And, and she was. She was a great mentor. And she... She was so kind to me. We did lots of workouts and training camps together. By workouts, I mean, I'd run like 300 meters of her 500s and stuff. I could barely hang on, but it it was very, very neat to have her around. And when I was in West Virginia, uh, Megan Metcalf, right, who is a runner from Edmonton, uh, who now lives in West Virginia, was there as well because she went to West Virginia University like I did. She's a few years older. And I looked up to her like crazy as well because she was the first Canadian to make the Olympic final in the 5K. So again, someone in my event, my province, um, who was around and who was like a big sister. So I've been lucky to have two awesome, awesome women athletes older than me who have just really been kind. Robin Webster of Edmonton won her second consecutive bronze medal at nationals in the pole vault. And we talked about that and her continued love of learning and continuing on in the sport. So you were a bronze medalist at uh, Canadian Championships this year in Montreal, and that's the second year in a row you've been the bronze medalist. And at Montreal, you set a new personal best at 4 meters 06, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. It was sometimes you just have to uh, really take your wins and enjoy the the moments. There's such a ride in our career as athletes and uh, to have a PB and sneak in for a medal at nationals. I couldn't have asked for anything better. So here's the second half of that question, Robin. (laughs) You're on the other side of 30 now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, I am. Can't just say I'm 30. I'm in the 30s. <laughs> so that's yeah. actually, to me, really an encouraging thing in that you're still hitting personal bests and competing at a high level at your age. 
Yeah, yeah. I I hear, you know, mixed <laughs> mixed feedback all the time from coaches and uh, you know, uh other friends and and uh, training partners my age who who have retired and uh moved on to other things in their lives. So, I'm definitely always always ha- in the age conversation, but uh, I'm still feeling quite sprightly myself. So, uh, (laughs) you know, trying to stay healthy and take it a day at a time. But I think I still have a lot more to learn in the sport and to to grow um, and continue improving. And I guess I'm saying that younger athletes can take it as an encouragement if they feel like they're hitting a plateau in their early 20s or whatever, and there's they feel like there's nothing else to go on to. Yet here you yeah. are still competing and still getting personal bests. Yeah, I, I hope so. That that'd be great for uh, to, to hopefully inspire some athletes to keep persevering through some downtimes because uh, I've certainly had my share for sure. I think I went for oof, four or five years without a personal best while I made some, you know, training changes and decisions and injuries and moved around a little bit and really tried to get a grapple on the sports and on the, um, on the event, sorry. And, uh, working with different coaches and different places. And it was pretty tough at times to keep staying resilient through that plateau. Um, but something just always kept drawing me to the love of learning and just knowing that I wasn't finished yet. I wasn't feeling like I'd really hit my, the peak of my performance that I still had more in there and there was much more to learn in this crazy technical event that I'm really enjoying continuing to learn with. I talked to Jen Brown from Calgary just after she returned from the para Pan Am games and won a gold medal. We talk about her leadership of that team as being a team captain, how she got involved in para athletics and the time constraints that are placed on an athlete when they're training at that high level and her looking forward to the para pan am uh, paralympics in tokyo in 2020 so you were one of three gold medalists for canada at the para pan am games uh, and you were named a team captain just talk about what that meant to kind of be a, a leader for the group i was so honored when they asked me for that actually it was um it was it was a bit of a surprise for me. I didn't that was one I'm a fairly planned person. You know, people who know me know that I like to think ahead and think of all the options and possibilities and that was one that I just didn't see coming. Um, but it was so exciting and it was such an honor to be able to lead such a, you know, robust team in into the Parapanam games. Um, we had athletes from all different events. We had athletes with a variety of dis- different disability classes. We had athletes that this was their first international team um, and athletes who were Paralympic medalists. And so the fact that they um, asked me to do that was just a, a huge, huge honor. I was really, really flattered. So moving forward, obviously you're looking at uh, still competing as you're just kind of refining that technique and you'll be uh, looking towards Tokyo in 2020? Yes, absolutely. So um, we have this year for us, this year in the the year three in the four-year cycle for us is a really um, heavy and sometimes lengthy year. So we have, um, obviously people always get super excited to kick off their season 
whenever they can, sort of as early as they can. But for us, we we still, we're not done. We still have a world championships that are going on in November in Dubai. And so um, we have we have our sort of standard competition season. We have the Para Pan Am Games, and then we have uh, world championships in November. And then it'll be a fairly quick turnaround. By the time you take two or three or four weeks off, depending on what you're doing, you're approaching Christmas time. And then by the time you get kind of into full flow again, it's, it's January 2020. So we're super excited about Tokyo. You know, Rio for me was just one of the most significant learning experiences I had in my entire life, not just as an athlete, but as a person too. I had some really amazing learnings there for me to be able to take forward into Tokyo. And um, we were fortunate to be able to go to Japan this summer. So we went to Japan um, at the end of June, start of July to be able to compete at Gifu, which is where the Athletics Canada pre-camp will be at their para nationals there. So we've had a super busy year this year, but it's been a year that's really productive, I feel for me, in building the path towards Tokyo and sort of giving me all the all the tools I need going into the year. It's uh, as soon as 2020 hits, I think anyone that's done it before, they know that it's just like it time absolutely flies. And, you know, time has already been flying and it will continue to move faster, I think, as we go into 2020. But I'm feeling pretty good about where we're at. Um, and how the build has been going and just having a little bit more knowledge and understanding of what what the the next year will look like for me. So, Yeah, I'm sure the pressure can be on sometimes. You know, you said you were in Japan this year and obviously you were at uh, Peru and you're and you're going to Dubai this year. So the family's probably wondering when when you're going to go camping with them or something. Yeah, well, they've, my family is, you know, I'm very lucky in that both my family and my employer are really like have really been supportive and kind of seen the vision of this for me throughout the process. Um, they've, they've essentially asked, stop asking when I'm going to go camping or, you know, they kind of know what the, the year looks like. But I haven't really, for sure, since 20, 2013 was probably the last time I was able to take a vacation that was longer than I would say two to three days where I could just, you know, go and hang out and relax and recuperate. And, but I choose to, and I like it and I think it's worth it. You know, like I, I really think the investment of energy into this for me has made a huge difference in the overall quality of my life. Um, I was diagnosed with MS in 2005. And so I didn't, I came back to use track as a way to get healthy, not necessarily to, you know, go to Rio to go compete. Yeah. Yeah. To go compete. It sort of just rolled into that. That, that was a, a, con- a really positive consequence of it, but I've had a lot of other positive consequences from the investment in time. You know, I met my fiance before Rio, he's part of sport. I've, you know, had all of these really amazing experiences. I've gotten to do other work with, you know, the athletes council for athletics, Canada and the Paralympic committee athletes council. So it's just opened up so many other doors for me that balancing that time and trying to find that time, it makes it a whole lot easier to do when there's just so much neat and interesting, so many neat and interesting outcomes out of this. And for me, you know, personally, and as a hopefully positive contributor to the community. World Championships were held earlier this year, and I had a long conversation with Jason Lindsay of Caltaf in Calgary about our favorite events, and what happened at those championships. I asked him a little bit about 5,000-meter runner Mohamed Ahmed, and we talk about that race as only a couple of old distance runners could. And then we've got uh, Mohamed Ahmed, 
what a success story that guy i i mean i've been i've known mo since he was a 16 year old kid running at the national legion championships and and now here he is a few years later after you know many many attempts to be world class i remember 2012 that was his first olympic games and he was just happy to be there and now anything less than a medal was going to be a disappointment and he's just he was he went for it with a mile to go he took the lead and said i'm going to make this honest i'm going to be there and i i was so i was so impressed by his run because he showed the world that you can compete with with the africans on the international stage he also demonstrated that perseverance and commitment and learning your craft are a big part of success and you know he was patient and that race patience was the virtue because he came through with the bronze and you look at um who was it Jakob Ingebrigtsen who I think is either still a junior or a first year senior I think he's 19 years old Ingebrigtsen yeah. yeah the Norwegian yeah the Norwegian and he was going for it but you know he his inexperience his youth was got in the way and he was not patient and he went for it and at that at that elite level in the in the middle distances you know, patience is the virtue and he was impatient and it bit him. So that was the difference, I believe. And hats off to Mohammed Ahmed. Like that guy, I gave him a ride to the track the night of his 5,000 final at the Canadian National Track and Field Championships this summer. And I saw him in the hall, hotel and he goes, is there another shuttle to the track? And I said, no, I don't know. Let's go take a look. And there wasn't. And I said, well, I'm driving there. Do you want to ride? And he jumped in the car with me and, you know, we hadn't chatted in a couple of years and, and it was just like, he is such a, a great down to earth guy. And we just talked about where he came from and, and now how his success is, you know, is so much because of his commitment and determination and dedication. I was, I just remember sitting there going, wow, this is awesome. And to see him then succeed at the world championship level is absolutely fantastic. There is so much to unpack from that race, right? Um, the, he had the three Ingebrigtsens from Norway. The The middle brother appears like he was pacing Jakob because he dropped out with uh, just over 800 meters to go. Oh, the, yeah. the older one, who's the most experienced one, just not quite up to that level. Like I think he kind of snuck into the final. He finished and finished at the back of the tra- pack. but you know, they were on about a 1330 pace, so not super fast, especially for some of those guys that have, you know, personal bests under 1250, those Ethiopians. But then, like you say, Mo took over with about a K to go. I guess the last kilometer was something like 224, which would be around a 12 minute pace. So they really ripped her on the last K. But to me, what was most amazing is the the traffic and how many times uh, Mo got bumped and tripped and almost went down with you know 500 to go and i thought he was totally done with 250 to go because they were on the back straight ingerbitson was leading the um, american was second and then the ethiopians went by mo and it looked like he was overstriding did it look like that to you jay yeah a little bit he um that is his uh like his bread and butter funny enough uh, a friend of mine george kerr from hamilton had a chance to work with Mo about his finishing kick. And uh, George is a, an elite sprints coach. He's been on the national team many, many times and produced some incredible athletes. 
the most recently um, at the World Championships right now was Brendan Rodney. And so George and Mo apparently worked a little bit together and and he gave him some uh, some pointers. And I think I think those came through in the last 250 because I agree with you. At 250 to go, I thought he was I thought he was going to go out the back door. I thought he was done. And yeah. he came back, he, he hit that corner, and then he realized he could still get there. And he went by yeah. Chalimo, and then he caught Ingerbitson. So, uh, and good for him. Like, 1301, second best Canadian performance all time, I believe. Second best for, for Mo, at least. And, you know, in a championships, it's not usually where you set, in a 5,000 or 1,500, it's not usually where you set a record. Yeah, exactly. You know, he really drilled down and did it. So... That was, you know, I've been watching track for a long time, Jay, since like uh, the late 70s. And that is one of the best races I've ever seen. Well, exactly. I agree with you. Right before the conference cross country, I talked to U Sports men's defending champion coach, Doug Lamont of the University of Calgary. We talked a lot about cross country, but in this excerpt, we talk about the upcoming indoor track season and the new recruits to the University of Calgary Dinos. So when cross-country wraps up, it's just a couple of weeks, and you turn around, you're back indoors training for indoor track season. And how does your team, have you thought about how the rest of the team looks for for track this year and, and maybe some new people that have joined the Dinos? Yeah, actually, it's. Um, I think the track uh, season is going to be quite exciting for us. Um, just because of um like last year was a disappointing year because we were struck with a, a multitude of injuries that took a lot of our top athletes out so um these the guys are back this year and and they're healthy and they're training and and so it's kind of an exciting um time for us next for next February and March Probably, I mean, the biggest challenge would be is to show up in February and March healthy and, and ready to compete. And then, like on the women's, or the men's side, I should say, if everybody's healthy and ready, then I think that it's quite possible that our men can be top in the top three in the country with, um, I mean, like guys like um, in our throws, we have Liam Banks and Mo Asif, who... Um, had to sit out yeah, last year because of injury. And then in the jumps, uh, we have Colin Unra and uh, Sodi Nakwanta, um, who are obviously the, all four of those guys are like, um, they're mature and, and healthy and ready to compete. So that's be good. And then obviously our cross country guys, um, Panic and Travellini and James uh, Thiessen, um, those guys would be able to contribute in the distance events, so it would be pretty exciting. And then, and actually, we have uh, uh, Daniel Orsini, who um, did his undergrad in York, and now he's out in Calgary here working on his graduate studies. So um, he'll be able to contribute in the sprints. And so the men's side, I think, has looked pretty good. And on the women's side. Um, we had a young team in the last two years on the women's side and they've just grown older together and, and have matured both athletically. And, and so that whole group should be ready to compete at a higher level this year. Plus we were um, pretty lucky with uh, some of our um, recruits and that we were able to convince uh, 
Princess Roberts to stay in Calgary and compete for the Dinos. Uh, she was uh, just came off this summer of placing fourth at National Juniors in the 200. And then we also convinced uh, Madison Mayer to stay in Calgary and compete for the Dinos. And she, was this summer, was third at Nationals in the high jump. So it's kind of exciting to have these those rookies here to kind of come alongside the the veterans that we do have. Yeah, well, you'll need some points to replace all that Nikki Audenarden did for the team last year. <laughs> so uh, it's good to hear that there's uh, some of those athletes are staying close to home uh, and competing yeah. uh, for Canadian universities instead of maybe taking some offers to go elsewhere. Yeah, that's yeah, it was good for us. One of Doug's athletes, Stefan Daniel, won the... Canada West Cross Country Championship, and I did this interview with him in between Canada West and the U Sports Championship. We talk about the depth of the Dinos team and about Steph's future endeavors in para-triathlon and whether he'll be back to the University of Calgary for his final year of eligibility. You know that those teams are, are strong at the top as well, and what might make the difference is the fourth and fifth runners uh, on each team. And that's what's great about cross country is it takes five guys and sometimes it takes all seven guys to help uh, push the score so that you can uh, uh, get that medal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is definitely the deepest team we've ever had. Um, we definitely have guys, um, you know, that are six and seven and some guys didn't even make the team that would, you know, be scoring for most teams in the country. So uh, it's a pretty special group we have. Um, we're confident. We've been running together all year, uh, training really well together. But um, yeah, we're, we're excited for the challenge next week for sure. And this is year four for you or year five? Four, year four. This is four. So you'll, you're looking to be back next year or are you looking that far ahead right now? Uh, not looking that far ahead yet. Um, it'll depend just because you never know. Maybe after Tokyo, I might be pretty, pretty exhausted and want just a big break from training. Um, but on the other hand, uh, I might just be excited just to keep going and uh, run another year with the guys. Yeah, so let's pivot to that. You mentioned Tokyo. You also compete in para-triathlon, and uh, the Paralympics in Tokyo will be in August of this year, and you will be going into that competition uh, as the reigning world champion is, uh, as the para-triathlete. Yeah, uh, in 2019, that was this is probably my most consistent year I've ever had. Um, I was only able to do well in training and race consistently across the year. So um, that was kind of the season I was hoping to have going into 2020. Um, so I'm confident, but I know obviously I have a huge target on my back and there's a lot of guys that can step up on the day and take that gold. So I know the work's not over yet and I'll have to be on my game for sure. Yeah, you were a silver medalist at the 2016 Paralympics in the triathlon. So gold is what your goal is set at, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was. I was really happy with like Rio was a super cool experience, um, but obviously, you know, you always want to win and getting second was kind of, I was pretty, I'm pretty motivated now. Uh, I know what that feels like to lose, but I know how good, you know, Martin Schultz is, George P is good, all those guys. Um, they're all yeah, very, very talented athletes and they know how to step up when it matters. So um, it's going to be an exciting race next year. So obviously putting in uh, lots of miles during cross country is uh, good for your triathlon training. Have you uh, had a chance to stay sharp in the other two disciplines or will you concentrate on that in the new year after cross country is over? Yeah, so during cross country, I 
I take a pretty good break from uh, swimming and biking. Um, I'll just do it just a little bit, um, just more for recovery. Uh, but I, I don't know. I do a triathlon and cross country. I kind of look at it as you know t- two different sports that I do. Um, cross country also happens just to double as like my running training block for the year. But I do take this uh, time of the year pretty seriously. Um, but after U sports, I'll take an actual off season, probably a couple of weeks, and then uh, start to ramp up everything else uh, early December. So you'll be ramping up for triathlon and you won't be running for the university and indoor track? Uh, no, no. Um, I would. I'd love to. Uh, but I just, you know, you can't do everything. Um, I definitely miss running on the track. But maybe, who knows, maybe after uh, 2020, if I decide to run cross country that year, maybe I'll decide to hop on the track for my last year of varsity. We'll see. That would be good to to finish it out in 2021. Yeah, no, definitely. The women's champion at Canada West Cross Country was Nicola Simons of the University of British Columbia. I talked to Nicola about that race, looking forward to the U Sports Championship, and a little bit about her experience competing with UBC in the NAIA in the United States in both cross country and outdoor track. And then we talk a little bit about her future and what she's going to concentrate on. So you have competed the last two years in cross country in U sports. And like you said before, in NAIA and mm-hmm. you're the entire track uh, program while you've been at UBC has also been in that conference. Just talk about uh, the opportunities that you had there and what you feel like the competition was like and how it developed you as an athlete. So the NAIA for track and field, the primary reason that I think our program has decided to compete in that as opposed to youth sports is for the opportunity to race outdoor track, which is always so much fun. And um, of course, living in Vancouver, we're lucky to have some more mild conditions than uh, what the rest of the country might be used to. And so we do, we are able to train outdoors all year and being able to compete an outdoor track for UBC has been so much fun. We've ha- hosted um, or Alabama, Gulf Shores, Alabama has been where our national championships have been held for several years. Um, every time that I've been there, um, it's been in Alabama. And um, yeah, it's always been a ton of fun. It's also nice. We're the only Canadian school in the NAIA. And so it tends to be kind of the smaller um, American colleges. And, you know, you kind of meet people who you'd never really get the opportunity to compete with otherwise. And so it's definitely been a really fun opportunity and I'm happy that, that we were able to, to take part in it. But now that your uh, university eligibility is, has been used up, what do you see as your future on the track and uh, where will you be trying to compete maybe this spring and summer? That's a great question. I um, am hoping since I'm finished my eligibility with UBC um, after U Sports, I am hoping to join the Thunderbirds Track and Field Club, which is the club associated and affiliated with the UBC team. And so my previous coach, who had been um, one of my coaches for the last four years, Chris Johnson, is now coaching uh, that team. And so um, it would be great to join them, continue with this really strong group of post-collegiate runners who I did run with a little bit for UBC with them. And, um, you know, still having um, kind of the familiar facilities as well. They often train at UBC and 
I think it would be a really smooth transition and I'm really excited to kind of continue racing. I still really love it and definitely want to pursue it and see where it goes. No particular goals in mind right now. I'm, I'm trying to focus on youth sports and kind of go from there afterwards, but I'm definitely still looking forward to uh, running with the club and, and racing this season in track for sure. So when you competed uh, for UBC, you ran the 800 and the 1500, and they had a 3,000 sometimes at the NAIA. What events do you think you might be focusing on for track going forward? Yeah, so they they had the 3,000. I ran that indoors, and then they also had the 3,000-meter steeplechase. I actually um, originally went in kind of wanting to focus on the 1500, and um, in my first year, my coaches, Norm and CJ, suggested that I also uh, try the 800. I was kind of intimidated by it, to be honest. You know, over the years, I actually grew to really love it and saw a lot of success with that. I got the opportunity to run um, in the 4x800 relay at the NAIs, which were um, a blast. Um, It's great to be a part of a relay team. And so I think I would actually like to kind of put my efforts towards um, the 800 and see, see where things can go. Um, although I'm sure I, I would still like to compete in the 15. I haven't PB'd. La- I didn't PB last season. It's been two seasons now. So it'd be nice to get a new time under my belt as well for that. For the second year in a row, Russell Pennock helped lead the University of Calgary Dinos to the U Sports Cross Country Championship. We talk about Russell's second consecutive bronze medal his future in triathlon, and a bit of a retrospective of his career with the Dinos. So you're in your fifth year of eligibility, so uh, indoor track will be it for you, uh, competing in U sports. Uh, What's happening after that, Russ? Uh, I will start uh, doing some triathlon again. Last year, after indoors, I started uh, getting into a bit of a triathlon build and uh, raced a couple times last year, and I'll start uh, doing that again this year. I'm not sure if I'll be heading out to Victoria or not, but uh, it's uh, where my sister lives and where one of the uh, better training environments is for triathlon. So possibly might head out there, but for sure going to be swimming and biking a lot more. So last year you competed in two, but it's been four or five years since you were uh, doing that full-time and and competitive on the circuit. I know I saw you race in a juniors event uh, World Cup here in Edmonton about four years ago. It's been four or five years then since you've been pretty much doing triathlon full time. Yeah, the last season that I did it full time um, was in 2016. Yeah, 2016 was the last uh, full season I did, um, and then after that, just went straight into uh, doing just pure running for yeah, about two three years there. So you mentioned your sister, Ellen. Uh, she competed uh, for Canada in the 2012 Olympics in London, and she's struggled with some injuries the last couple of years. What's her status? Is she uh, getting back in shape? Yeah, and, uh, so she actually didn't compete in t- uh, 2012. She was one of the like athletes that was on the lookout for the, for the team, but she didn't actually make it. But she did go to the 2014 Commonwealth Games. Okay. But yeah, she did have a few years there where she was um, struggling with some injury and and just having a hard time with uh, everyday training. But she's in a really good spot now. She's out in Victoria. She's uh, getting trained with the, the kind of development team out there. She's really enjoying it. 
she had some pretty good race results this past season, was really consistent, and she's looking to build on that and just have fun with the sport because I think uh, for a little while there she wasn't having fun with it. So really happy to see that she's just enjoying what she's doing again. Yeah, when you have those nagging injuries, it's no fun. No, exactly. It's just everyday kind of stress hanging over your head that you don't need. You've spent five years now competing uh, for the University of Calgary. Um, just reflect on uh, what kind of a journey it's been and, and how much you've enjoyed uh, being part of that team. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny to think that it's been five years. It feels long and short at the same time. Thinking back to my first, uh, back then it was CIs uh, in 2014 out in Newfoundland. It was, uh, I didn't really know what to expect going into that. And I had no idea what this uh, whole scene was about, you know, seeing all these schools that you typically don't see out West. Uh, I remember being on the star line, like, holy crap, like St. FX, are they good? Or seeing the University of Windsor, I was like, man, I haven't seen them. I haven't heard about them really. And then just, yeah, getting uh, into the team environment with uh, some of the guys and ended up winning Rookie of the Year that year. So that was pretty cool. I guess in 2015, we were pretty young crew because in 2014, a bunch of guys graduated. Or then the next year, we had Stefan join and we had like uh, Alex James, Ryan Grieco, uh, Evan Yarmuch, Raman Ismail, just a bunch of guys who are from Calgary. And um, we didn't, <laughs> super young. We often look back at that, like a picture from uh, 2015 CIs and think about how young and kind of naive we were about what we thought was good for running but it was just kind of good for us because we were a uh, big fish in a small pond and then you get out to Guelph and all of a sudden you're running against people like Aaron Hendricks, who's a 28-minute 10K guy, and all of a sudden that's a whole new definition of fast. Uh, moving on to, I missed the 2016 CIs uh, for an injury, so I didn't compete again until 2017, and that's things when things really started to change and our team really started to kind of get this cohesiveness of uh, kind of competitive running and we got our first medal there, and that was a pretty cool, surreal experience. We won Ken West, and the guys were all super excited, and we we could see the change in becoming more mature athletes and uh, becoming smarter athletes, and then that carried over to the national championship the next year in Kingston, and that was a crazy, crazy experience. Just we had no idea at the start of the year that we would be capable of that, but as the year kind of went on, we we're like, holy crap, I think, like, I think we can do this. And going into the race, I, I knew that we were, we were underdogs, but I thought we were the team to beat. And we had some pretty big performances out of the guys like Eric coming ninth and Tyler coming 32nd. It was just, yeah, pretty, pretty surreal to have that happen and be the ones holding the banner and then to do it again this year. It was uh, pretty cool, very special. And yeah, memories I'll have for my life and, friends that I'll have for life and it's uh, going to be hard to say goodbye. Yeah. I don't think you snuck up on anybody this year. They, they saw you coming. No, and, I don't think so. Uh, you were the favorites going in and you know, all, all seven guys performed really well. So that's uh good. And to go back to back is good for, for the school and for uh, Doug, who's been coaching there for forever since. Um, I do remember talking to Doug last year though, and I, I was, uh, it was after the cross country season and I was in his office for a meeting and, uh, just kind of candidly, I was like, Oh, so Doug, I guess you got this cross country title. Does that mean you're going to retire? And he said, well, I always would retire once I have a men's and women's cross country title and a men's and women's track and field title. So I could 
got one more to go. We need that men's uh, indoor track title. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how that goes so this year. we can do that this year so he's not holding out for too much longer. I think he really enjoys it. I don't know what he would do if he wasn't if he wasn't coaching. Yeah, I think he yeah, he really does enjoy it. He likes interacting with uh with the athletes and seeing seeing people progress and and, and succeed and he's uh, built a really good environment here for uh everyone to feel like they can compete and feel comfortable with, you know, their their level of competition at this moment. No one's discriminated against because that they haven't had the uh the opportunity to compete before, to train before, Doug just really, yeah, opens up the door for anyone. My final interview of the season was with World Para Athletics 1500 meter champion for the T38 category, Nate Reich. Nate talks here about his race, and then we discuss his athletic background, how he got involved in para sports, and how he hopes to continue to push it further in the future yeah definitely it's definitely i think a moment that uh i'll remember for the rest of my life Uh, going into the race i was very confident going in i have had the best training in my life to this point and i haven't really had been able to show it in a race so i was hoping uh you know to show it during the during the race the race started off um kind of with two packs the lead pack two athletes kind of took off like a very fast from the start and I knew that those guys PBs were pretty far behind the rest of the pack so I decided to kind of just play the waiting game and see what they do uh, after 400 meters and then if they were still pretty far ahead of 400 meters and I would go start the chase pack to go and catch them but it seemed like they were slowly dying off so I just sat about 600 no about 700 meters into the race I got clipped from the from the Algeria runner who ended up placing second. And that kind of woke me up a little bit. And um, our plan was to go after 100 meters, but I went about 100 meters early because uh, I wasn't playing around after I almost fell. Uh, so I decided to really start my move. And each 100, I accelerated. And um, with 50 meters left in the race, I kind of knew I had it and was telling myself to stay calm as I crossed the line. But I did anything but that. I, you know, was very excited and I was waiting for one of my best friends. Tom was at the fence. Uh, he had to leave for his flight right after my race, but I wanted to make sure I, you know, said, said, said hi to him. And he, uh, he's big part in, uh, getting me, uh, to win my world, first world championships. Yeah. So you were in that second pack to begin with. I, I just rewatched the race and, and those guys went out in 62 or 63. You were around 66 came through the 800 and 215, and then you really put the hammer down, uh, that third lap. And that's always the tough lap, I think, for for someone running a 1500, and you really nailed that, a 60 or 61 to bring you through 1200 in, in 315, and that's where you gap the rest of the field. I have a very interesting and unique background as my dad was an Olympian in 1996, Olympics. My mom was a Canadian national champion as well as a Canadian record holder at one time. My grandpa played in the NHL. Both of my step-parents were professional athletes as well as my cousin who got fifth in the Olympics. So I come from, you know, very high performance mentality. And so I may be a rookie to the para sport, but at the same time, I, I really have you know surrounded myself with olympic gold medalists who i know and people who i've really been able to pick their brain and so 
Um, I, I'm really am more experienced than maybe some may think. Some of the stories that you hear about different para-athletes, they, uh, they experience their injury or they're diagnosed uh, with something that's impairing them. So, for example, when I talked to Jen Brown, she was diagnosed with, with MS, and so she turned back to track and field to uh, help part of her rehabilitation, and then para-athletics opened up to her. In your case, you were injured uh, as a fairly young person, as a 10-year-old, and you had some coordination issues, but you went on to compete in the able-bodied competition for a long time and only, have only turned to para-athletics recently. So different stories, but, you know, same outcome, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, and I think, yeah, you know, I, I think we're each in sport for different reasons, which is so beautiful, the beautiful thing about sport. And, um, you know, I've always been a person who, you know, when I got injured, I was so worried that I wasn't going to be able to test myself physically on a regular basis because that's something I really enjoy. I really enjoy being in that discomfort and, you know, really trying to figure out how to come out on the other side better and running faster at the end. And, you know, with a, you know, with a disability like I have when I got paralyzed, you know, there's part of my brain that doesn't work, which controls the right side of my body. And so it makes it really hard at the end when you're fatigued to, you know, compete with those able body runners. And I, I really think I, I learned so much and I up my game. And, you know, there's so many people in the T38 classification who have really upped the game. And I'm hoping to just follow suit and try to, uh, you know, see how fast us T37, T38s can run. So as 2019 comes to a close, I'd like to thank all of those different people that agreed to come on the show and make it an interesting first year for me doing this podcast. also like to thank my friend Jonathan Moon who helped me design the logo for the podcast. And also like to thank Silverman Sound, a website where I found the music. And as long as I give them credit, they say I can use it for free. So really appreciate all the tools and tricks I've learned in my first year doing this podcast. Look forward to doing more, and I'll see you at the track. My name is Stuart York, and this is Tracking West. <laughs>